In the previous chapter, it was stressed the importance of feeling deeply about your subject. Unless you are emotionally involved in the subject matter you have chosen to talk about, you cannot expect to make your audience believe in your message. Obviously, if you select a topic that is exciting to you because of long experience with it, such as a hobby or recreational pursuit, or because of deep reflection or personal concern about it, as for instance, the need for better schools in your community, you will have no difficulty in talking with excitement. The persuasive power of earnestness was never more vividly demonstrated to me than in a talk made before one of my classes in New York City more than two decades ago. I have heard many persuasive talks, but this one, which I call the case of bluegrass versus hickory wood ashes, stands out as a kind of triumph of sincerity over common sense. A top flight salesman of one of the best known selling organizations in the city made the preposterous statement that he had been able to make bluegrass grow without the aid of seeds or roots. He had according to his story, scattered hickory wood ashes over newly plowed ground. Presto! Bluegrass had appeared. He firmly believed that the hickory wood ashes and the hickory wood ashes alone were responsible for the bluegrass. Commenting on his talk, I gently pointed out to him that his phenomenal discovery would, if, if true, make him a millionaire for a bluegrass seed was worth several dollars a bushel. I also told him that it would make him the outstanding scientist of all history. I informed him that no man, living or dead, had ever been able to perform the miracle he claimed to have performed. No man had ever been able to produce life from inert matter. I told him that very quietly, for I felt that his mistake was so palpable, so absurd, as to require no emphasis in the refutation. When I had finished, every other member of the course saw the folly of his assert assertion, but he did not see it, not for a second. He was in earnest about his contention, deadly in earnest. He leaped to his feet and informed me that he was not wrong. He had not been relating theory, he protested, but personal experience. He knew whereof he spoke. He continued to talk, enlarging on his first remarks, giving additional information, piling up additional evidence, sincerity and honesty ringing in his voice. Again, I informed him that there was not the remotest hope in the world of, me, of his being right, or even approximately right or within a thousand miles of the truth. In a second, he was on his feet once more, offering to bet me $5 and to let the U.S. Department of Agriculture settle the matter. And do you know what happened? Several members in the class were won over to his side. Many others were beginning to be doubtful. If I had taken a vote, I am certain that more than half of the businessmen in that class would not have sided with me. I asked them what had shaken them from their original position. One after another said it was the speaker's earnestness, his belief, so energetically stated that made them begin to doubt the common sense viewpoint. Well, in the face of that display of credulity, I had to write the Department of Agriculture. I was ashamed, I told them, to ask such an absurd question. They replied, of course, that it was impossible to get blue grass or any living thing from hickory wood ashes, and they added that they had received another letter from New York asking the same question. That salesman was so sure of his position that he sat down and wrote a letter too. This incident taught me a lesson I'll never forget. 
If a speaker believes a thing earnestly enough and says it earnestly enough, he will get adherence to his cause, even though he claims he can produce bluegrass from dust and ashes. How much more compelling will our convictions be if they are arrayed on the side of common sense and truth? Almost all speakers wonder whether the topic they have chosen will interest the audience. There is only one way to make sure that they will be interested. Stoke the fires of your enthusiasm for the subject and you will have no difficulty holding the interest of a group of people. A short time ago, I heard a man in one of our classes in Baltimore warn his audience that if the present methods of catching rockfish in Chesapeake Bay were continued, the species would become extinct. And in a very few years, he felt his subject. It was important. He was in real earnest about it. Everything about his matter and manner showed that. When he arose to speak, I did not know that there was such a creature as a rockfish in Chesapeake Bay. I imagine that more of the audience shared my lack of knowledge and lack of interest. But before the speaker finished, all of us would probably have been willing to sign a petition to the legislature to protect the rockfish by law. Richard Washburn Child, the former American ambassador to Italy, once asked, or was once asked, the secret of his success as an interesting writer. He replied, I'm so excited about life that I cannot keep still. I just have to tell people about it. One cannot keep from being enthralled with a speaker or writer like that. I once went to hear a speaker in London after he was through. One of our party, Mr. E.F. Benson, a well-known English novelist, remarked that he enjoyed the last part of the talk far more than the first. When I asked him why, he replied, the speaker himself seemed more interested in the last part. And I always rely on the speaker to supply the enthusiasm and interest. Here is another illustration of the importance of choosing your topics well. A gentleman whom we shall call Mr. Flynn was enrolled in one of our classes in Washington, D.C. One evening early in the course, he devoted his talk to a description of the capital city of the United States. He had hastily and superficially gleaned his facts from a booklet issued by a local newspaper. They sounded like it, dry, disconnected, undigested. Though he had lived in Washington for many years, he did not present one personal instance of why he liked the city. He merely recited a series of dull facts, and his talk was as distressing for the class to hear as it was agonizing for him to give. A fortnight later, something happened that touched Mr. Flynn to the core. An unknown driver had it smashed into his new car while it was parked on the street and had driven away without identifying himself. It was impossible for Mr. Flynn to collect insurance and he had to foot the bill himself. Here was something that came hot out of his experience. His talk about the city of Washington, which he laboriously rolled out sentence by sentence, was painful to him and his audience. But when he spoke about his smashed-up car, his talk welled up and boiled forth like vesuvius in action. The same class that had squirmed restlessly in their seats two weeks before now greeted Mr. Flynn with a heartwarming burst of applause. As I have pointed out repeatedly, you cannot help but succeed if you choose the right topic for you. One area of topic is surefire. Talk about your convictions. Surely you have strong beliefs about some aspect of life around you. You don't have to search far and wide for these subjects. 
They generally lie in the surface of your stream of consciousness because you often think about them. Not long ago, a legislative hearing on capital punishment was presented on television. Many witnesses were called to give their viewpoints on both sides of this controversial subject. One of them was a member of the police department of the city of Los Angeles, who had evidently given much thought to this topic. He had strong convictions based on the fact that 11 of his fellow police officers had been killed in gun battles with criminals. He spoke with the deep sincerity of one who believed to his heart's core in the righteousness of his cause. The greatest appeals in the history of eloquence have all been made out of the deaths of someone's deep convictions and feelings. Sincerity rests upon belief, and belief is as much a matter of the heart and of a warmly feeling what you are saying as it is of the mind and coldly thinking of what to say. The heart has reasons that the reason does not know. In many classes, I have had frequent occasions to verify Pascal's trenchant sentence. I remember a lawyer in Boston who was blessed with a striking appearance and who spoke with admirable fluency. But when he finished speaking, people said, Clever chap. He made a surface impression because there never seemed to be any feeling behind his glittering facade of words. In the same class, there was an insurance salesman, small in stature, prepossessing in appearance, a man who groped for a word now and then. But when he spoke, there was no doubt in any of his listeners' minds that he felt every word of his talk. It is almost a hundred years since Abraham Lincoln's assassination in the presidential box of Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. But the deep sincerity of his life and his words still lives with us. As far as his knowledge of law is concerned, scores of other men of his time outstripped him. He lacked grace, smoothness, and polish. But the honesty and sincerity of his utterances at Gettysburg, Cooper Union, and on the steps of the Capitol in Washington have not been surpassed in our history. You may say, as one man once did, that you have no strong convictions or interests. I am always a little surprised at this, but I told this man to get busy and get interested in something. What, for instance? He asked. In desperation, I said, Pigeons. Pigeons? He asked in a bewildered tone. Yes, I told him. Pigeons, go out on the square and look at them. Feed them. Go to the library and read about them. Then come back here and talk about them. He did. When he came back, there was no holding him down. He started to talk about pigeons of, with all the fervor of a fancier. When I tried to stop him, he was saying something about 40 books and pigeons, and he had read them all. He gave one of the most interesting talks I have ever heard. Here is another suggestion. Learn more and more about what you now consider a pretty good topic. The more you know about something, the more earnest and excitedly enthusiastic you will become. Percy H. Whitting, the author of The Five Great Rules of Selling, tells salesmen never to stop learning about the product they are selling. As Mr. Whitting says, the more you know about a good product, the more enthusiastic you become about it. The same thing is true about your topics. The more you know about them, the more earnest and enthusiastic you will be about them.